accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through DS9. We are up to Season 2, Episode 3. It's called The Siege. It is the Part 3 of 3 episodes of the Bajoran Coup arc. It uh, aired back on October 10th, 1993. It was written by Michael Pillar, directed by Weinrich Colby, and it... Uh, that's pretty much it. The description. Anyway, Cisco tries to prevent the Circle from taking the station. Kira and Dax take proof that the Cardassians are the real force that is arming the Circle to bejourn the government. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I'm wondering where all the people on the sh- on the space station went, though. They went to they, multiple they places, yeah. Well, they evacuated everybody who wasn't Bajoran, right? Yes. And it then seems like some Bajorans who wanted to go got, got off. But then there was only like five people left on the ship. Yes, right. There's only there's only a handful of people that Cisco gives his pep talk to in the morning. Sure. Uh, yeah. They. Uh, well, I guess we'll get into it. But this is yeah. This is wrapping up uh, the first three parter in Star Trek history. We're going to be talking about the siege right after this. Starfleet feels it has no other choice. The Federation is here at the invitation of the Bajoran Provisional Government. No more Provisional Government. No more invitation. Governments can break off relations with an edict. It's not so easy when it comes down to our level. Hmm? All right, Clay, so I think that this uh, is one of those episodes I was watching it, and I was going, this is fine. This mm-hmm. is fine. And maybe that I might not even have been that excited. I was just going, this is fine. And then I stopped, and I thought about it for f- five minutes after it ended, and I was like, that actually really wasn't all that good. So, um, <laughs> so where do you stand on this one? I think that this is a... This is kind of a weird episode, and I guess we'll talk about this one, and we'll just talk about the entire sort of um, three-episode arc, uh, you know, when you need to. But, you know, the siege is just the action-packed wrap-up to the thing, and it almost feels like all the storylines were pretty much done after the second episode, and mm. they just had to have this sort of uh, siege thing go on. There's a lot of episodes with the title with the word siege in it in DS9, too, which is kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, what would you think of this one? Um, yeah, I kind of had the same feeling. Uh, it's funny, <clears throat> the stuff I actually liked the most um, kind of felt like the the biggest pieces of filler. Because, uh, you know, you, you would assume uh, soaring into the third part of your, your, your trilogy of episodes here, um, everything would be, you know, the ball's rolling down the hill and you're kind of barreling towards the finish line. But they have a lot of time in this episode before anything really happens where people are just, like, talking about stuff. And, uh, yeah. you know, you've got people talking about – get uh, what's his name? Jake and Nog. Nog is that yeah. his name? Yep. Yeah. You know, talking about how they're getting split up. And uh, you have an extended sequence where they talk about food. Yep. Which, at the, which was weird because I was like, what the hell is going on here? But at the same time, I'm like, yeah. I actually kind of enjoy this. <laughs> Yeah, that's that it, scene is actually very good. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just weird because it's like in an episode in an episode called Siege, um, they don't show up until like halfway through the episode, and then they're just kind of wandering around the hallways for twenty minutes, and then it's just over. I have a I have a dis I don't think that this what happens here actually fits the definition of a siege. You know, like I don't what they're not actually sieging the station. They're just they just kind of get on it and invade it and. 
there's very little resistance yeah. to them. So I think yeah. I think it's a not appropriate title actually. No, it's not a siege at all. It would it would be I mean it would be a siege if they never get on the ship, right. never get yeah. on the station, and they just you know stop well, anything from coming in or out. And then the food conversation would make more sense because it would be months of them on the station eating all their food and getting right. down to the rations. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I you know I was thinking as I was watching and I was like you know maybe they should have stretched it to four. Because it, it could have, you know, you could have gotten into that stuff if they wanted to, but I don't know. Maybe they they clearly didn't. Yeah. Like I guess I think that's the problem is y- there's not there's not room to do that in this episode because the siege is not the point of the story. You know, the point of the story is wrapping up the whole uh, Bajoran Cardassian uh, arms deal angle and spending another. Uh, Another episode where they're, they're, the Deep Space Nine is under siege with like five people on it is just is not worth spending the time doing. Um, but yeah, I thought it was okay. It, I, it was again. I think the exa- I had the exact same reaction you did, where I was watching. I was going, "Yeah, this is pretty good." And then afterwards, I was like, "Eh, that was." I guess it needed to happen. Yeah, <laughs> right. It wrapped up. I see. You mentioned you thought the best scenes were filler. I kind of feel the entire episode is weirdly filler. Like I yeah. feel like none of it, except for the. You know, the the fact that what you were saying, the, the whole important angle is that Kira and Dax bring that evidence to, to the Bajoran governments and show them that the Cardassians are in on it and the Circle's in on it. Yeah. That is resolved in, like, the last three minutes so sloppily in a lot of ways that it's like, really? That's that's how the episode is going to wrap up? Just just like that? She just hands over the thing and it's over? But the their entire journey feels like filler to me. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like they get on this old ship. They're kind of flying around. They're shooting stuff. They crash. Kira breaks her hip. They meet Burrell. Uh, Burrell, he fixes her hip, and then they just walk to the government, and they, they hand it in. It, it feels all very silly. And um, the it reminded me, uh, it reminded me of a certain. I don't know if I don't think you've seen it yet, but it reminded me of a certain subplot in the new Star Wars movie. Uh, a lot, actually. Oh, the, the casino <laughs> subplot. I assume. You're oh yes, about. yeah, yep. yeah. Um, I have not seen it, but I know that that's what people uh, complain about. Um. I, to me, the problem with this siege episode is I, I think I understand that I kind of agree that maybe they should have done another episode out of this because mm-hmm. the things that I think they tr- or like five yeah sorry right, right. just make the siege but you know yeah, yeah like a siege the siege could have been like a cool first five episodes of the season just de- you know but whatever sorry go ahead well the the problem is that when you jam all this stuff into one episode I feel that they really. There's scenes in this one that I like and scenes that I don't like. Like, mm-hmm. if I were to go through this quickly, I really like Cisco's opening talk with the pep talk to the Starfleet officers that are staying. Yep. Mostly because he gives the very cliche, you don't have to stay, I'm not going to hold it against you, leave now if you want to leave thing. Cisco, I feel, actually delivers that line in a way that makes me feel he actually does not care if the people go with their families at that mm-hmm. point like he he him being a father himself kind of helps sell that a little bit like it, it's not perfunctory like if kirk were saying it i don't really take kirk seriously kirk would expect everyone to stay there with him yeah and, kirk kirk does it in more of like a mocking tone sure yes yeah and cisco you get the sense that he actually wants it to go on uh we have a lot of goodbye scenes and to me one of the biggest weaknesses of this is that the goodbye scenes all of the goodbye scenes to me are not very good at all like they're so rushed because they don't have the time to do things the o'briens basically the o'brien should divorce after their goodbye scene here because (laughs) that is that is the worst goodbye between husband and wife and a child and 
O'Brien's rationale for staying is horrible. He has yeah. he has no reason to stay there whatsoever. His his reaction his rationale is to the extent of like, but Cisco said he's gonna order pizza. <laughs> he's got those rations. I love those rations. They're gonna be yeah. out there. I mean that's a it, we'll we'll touch on those two, but the, you know the Nog and Jake thing is okay. That's kind of a goodbye, but the characters aren't separated long enough to make you feel that this goodbye actually means something. Yeah, and not yeah. to spoil I, it, but they do they they sort of redo this storyline in a later season, and they do it much better, where they mm. they stretch it out and the characters are away from each other for a little bit longer. Yeah, I think that feels that feels more natural, and I mean given the way the the series is going, it feels like it would be. Well suited to that. Um, it was actually a part of me that was th- actually kind of thinking at the end when people start to come back or whatever that uh, O'Brien's family wouldn't be there. They don't even um, show them. Yeah. yeah. I, I Like I, I thought there was going to be a moment where like, you know, everybody's coming back and hugging and then, you know, Keiko and what's the kid's Molly. name? I don't know the Molly. Kid's name. Molly. Yep. Um, you know, just don't aren't there. And you know, have you li- have this little... Uh, you know, sad beat for O'Brien where yeah. he's like, oh, maybe I made a mistake. Or yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, he's a, I really, if I was rewriting this, I would have O'Brien leave. You know, I would have it be kind mm. of a, a, kind of a crisis of conscience type thing. But I think he makes the really the wrong decision here to stay on the station, especially because what he ends up doing is not all that important. Like if he had died over this, is it, is it worth it? Like I, the, the, for the amount of danger that they're in, I'm not sure that the episode really sells why it's a good decision for the Federation to stay here. Yeah. Um, yeah, they don't really focus on that at all, really. It's just sort of like... Like, what's your sense? They're just staying just for to protect the Bajorans who can't be... Basically, the non-fundamentalist Bajorans. That's my the only thing I can really come up with, that they don't want to just leave. They don't want to you know, turn tail and be seen as the the sort of cowards who couldn't stay there to protect the Bajorans that had asked them to be there in the first place. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it that much because um, I, as I was watching it, the only thing that I could really pin it on was needing to buy time in order to get that information down to the Bajoran people. Oh, sure. Uh, or yeah. the, the council or whatever. Um, I actually am not sure what the overarching I, it's been a while since I watched the last one but I I, I it, you know what else didn't help the the previously on St- Deep Space Nine thing was not in chronological order no it was just because I was like oh good it's been a while since I've watched these this will remind me and then it was just jumping around doing the X, Y, and Z like they they it have the character um, I think it went like through each oh, character really? story okay. yeah yeah because yeah, like one of the last things they do is that scene where uh, uh, Cisco is deciding whether or not it's worth sending uh, um, Kira down to save uh, what the hell's his name? Lee Nallis. Uh, Lee Nallis. And I was like, wait, wait, but that was like in the first episode. This is this is I don't I'm losing track of of, of how all this stuff happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, I you know I couldn't. They didn't really play it up at all. Like you know for for the for the the you know in the last episode we talked the, about the great scene with uh, um, Cisco and the Admiral where they're debating the merits of staying versus going and, and the admiral's reacting in a very sort of uh strategic starfleet way. way yeah starfleety way where cisco is is doing the uh, uh uh yes sir but you know fingers crossed behind his back kind of thing they never really follow that up with anything like there's no i guess just that first scene where they're talking about you know if you want them to if you want to leave you can leave kind of thing like there's no there's no reason for you to stay or i'm not you know we're not 
acting within the uh, boundaries of the law or Starfleet or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they don't really touch on that. I, I was kind of expecting some of that to come back, like towards the end or something, or at least a have another conversation. At the very end, yeah. Yeah, have yeah. some sort of conversation with, with uh, um, the Admiral. But I think there's actually there's so much stuff that they need to tie up here, uh, or at least they feel like they need to tie up, that some of that stuff falls by the wayside. Like, I I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I, I don't think they needed to... I don't think killing Lee Nollis was absolutely necessary. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not much of a bang ending, but it, se- it seems like this. Uh, is this going to be the hallmark of of, uh, of uh, episodes with uh, guest stars playing important characters as they all get killed by a, 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 a faceless assassin in the a, last a few, thirty seconds? A few of them, yeah. A few of them. Is the are, are the remaining members of the cast of Wings going to show up to kill off all these other characters? Stephen Weber is terrible in this episode, she, like shockingly to me. He's very, very yeah. bad in this. I don't really understand. Yeah, I wrote down in my notes that I was surprised that they that he was playing this character because I felt like they wasted him. Yeah, and then I wrote. <laughs> I wrote, this is the first time I think I've ever thought someone wasted Steven <laughs> Weber. <laughs> I mean, this was at the heights of wings. He, he came in off a busy wing schedule to come in and, and play the yeah. second in command. Yeah. You've got you've got the guy, the star of wings playing the second in command, but the guy playing the first in command is the dad from Monster Squad, and that's about it. Oh, sure. sure. He's actually good, though. I like the actor he is. in this. I do. Yeah. I, yeah. I like him. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him in one or two other things, and he's usually consistently pretty good. And I, I think that the, you know, the... the just sort of the the character use here. We'll talk about Lee Nollis, I suppose, for a little bit because in our first couple episodes, we thought that by season or episode two, the circle, his story had kind of stalled out. Like he didn't have a lot to do. He was just standing mm-hmm. around on the station. Here, I feel it's the same thing. He gives that speech that convinces the. I can't tell if that speech is good when he comes to the uh, the docking bay and he rescues Cisco from the Bajorans and he says like you know he gives that rousing speech and then kind of walks off. Yeah, was that good or was that bad? Um, I don't know because as far as a revolutionary goes, he's very subdued in his mannerisms. Yes, yeah. Um, he's very. I think we may have talked. About, uh, no, I was that. I was talking about the uh, Vedics in a couple episodes ago. But uh, he was. Um, yeah, he doesn't really have a lot of. I mean, I understand that his character is supposed to be, you know, reticent of the role that he's playing and built on a lie. So his yeah, his, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's like he's got to have. He's got to have a bit of a, an oomph when he needs it, you know. But I, I guess right. I guess it doesn't matter if it was good because it worked. I guess. Yes. Well, I mean, I think that he's I think that he's supposed to come across as riveting in that, and it comes across yeah. as just like, all right, guys, yeah, and they just kind of walk off screen, <laughs> and it's like that was that was a terrible speech, and everyone seemed to buy into it. But I, I I think that he's supposed to be impressive at that point, and if that's the case, they miscast him, I believe, or they didn't. They didn't tell Richard Boehmer that he really needs to, like, that's the moment where Lee Nollis becomes his true hero self, kind of, because um, mm-hmm. he doesn't sell it that way. And his his ending, to me, that's the only way his storyline, his story could have ended. And I feel that it, it worked exactly the way that it should have worked, which is he gets shot. And he, he him getting shot is his sacrifice, but it also gets him out of the responsibility he doesn't want. However... Right. Despite the fact that it was everything I would have expected, it falls flat to me for some reason. Like I don't, I don't think it really works at the very end. You mean you mean you didn't like as his dying words being like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> I wouldn't have. I actually didn't mind his last words being that. I think that they sold the they undersold the moment a little bit. Like have him say something else before he says that. 
you know, just be like, Cisco, I'm glad to have met you. Talk for 10 seconds and then say, but at least I got out of my responsibilities or something. I would have felt that yeah. was fitting with the character. See, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I was kind of, I was hoping he wouldn't be, like, I I was hoping that <clears throat> the arc of this character was now that he's, you know, stepped over the threshold of taking, actually stepping into the role that he, he doesn't want to step into, he would now his new path would be okay now i have to go back to bajor and and be this person and and be this this uh leader basically ma- yeah leader of the people i, I it's not as it's not as flashy of an ending as killing him but i i found i would have found that more interesting if he was like you know i'm this might not be what i want but it's the role that i have and i i think i'm i'm ready to take it on now as opposed to just being like oh now he's a martyr and now he's st- strike you strike him down, he'll be more powerful than he was as, as when he was alive. Which is which is what Jaro says at one point in the thing. Like they they need to capture him; they can't kill him. So right. They actually right. they he succeeded in that regard because they did kill him. Stephen Weber killed him for no for no reason. Um, and I mean the the whole characterization thing. I didn't get the I didn't get the sense that the Stephen Weber character was that big of a fundamentalist. You know what I mean? Like he didn't strike me as a circle yeah. puritan or anything like that. He felt, I think. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think the failing is not having him in the scene with when um, in the last episode where um, where they go to the circle hideout. Okay. Oh, right. I think, you know, because, yeah, he kind of comes a there was I had to rewind it a couple times in this episode because there was that sort of like aha moment where where Steven Weber is revealed to be like. If not a member of the circle, at least sympathetic to the circle, but there's not really any emotion played by anybody in it. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't sure, like, oh, wait, is he, did I miss something? Is he just discovered now, or is he just, is this the equivalent of, like, his employer stumbling upon his Facebook page? Right. Or is, he, political is views? he just having a disagreement with his general, kind of? You get the sense, yeah. like, is he just a, a, an officer who disagrees with his CO? Yeah, I think I don't know. I could have done with a with an with an, uh, a shot of him interacting with Frank Langella a bit, or or you know even just even just something to put them in the same room together to to plant the seed. Right. But I guess is the is the dad from Monster Squad is is there supposed to be like a there's not supposed to be any sort of like oh he might be faithful to the circle kind of thing with him right the general no i don't think so yeah no he's yeah. he's on the straight and narrow i think is my impression of him yeah that's what i thought too so yeah i guess i don't know it was a little bit kind of weird and the, and also the i i kind of got lost a little bit too when uh <clears throat> they capture they capture them in the holodeck and then they send steven weber back to the general and he doesn't tell him the information that he got yeah, he doesn't notify them that the Cardassians are involved in the deal, the arms deal. Yeah, I guess I didn't even really register that at the time as being like an underhanded kind of thing. I don't know. Underhanded from Stephen Weber's point of yeah. view, you mean? Because, yeah, because yeah. later on they do this other thing where when they capture the general, Lee Nollis is just like, hey, I'm Lee Nollis, you might have heard of me. And then the next, <laughs> then they cut away and the next thing that you see is the general being pissed at. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. There was a little bit of, there was a little bit of a story gap in there for me that was a little bit hard to follow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that a lot of those problems are just tying into it. It's a very rushed episode for what it's actually yeah, trying yeah. to do. Like they, they solve a lot of the problems down to the very end where Kira and Dax, I don't, 
I don't think we need to talk about the Kieran Dax subplot, really. Maybe just the fact that Dax is still horribly miswritten and miscast, in my opinion. Like, Yeah, I have a question about her. Okay. So in, earlier in the episode, they talk about um, <clears throat> some of her other forms, one in particular being, like, super good at math. Yeah, to- Tobin Dax. Yep. Yeah. Is So is the impression here that she can just will the information that he knew into her own brain? The... It's basically that the symbiont inside of her knows everything that the previous hosts know. So the the symbiont is supposed to be like a very intelligent, like knowledgeable creature because it's lived so many lifetimes. Oh, okay. Because yep. I, I guess I was kind of expecting a different personality out of her or something. No, she can just remember everything that the previous lifetimes have taught her, basically. Ah, okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, I kept watching this going like, okay, well... I think something's going to happen with these guys because I assume she's going to have to call upon that other The warrior person. decks, yeah. Yeah, or <laughs> right. something. I don't know. It was just something instead of just like bickering about cheesy flying dialogue and yeah. then yeah. you know using the force to shoot down planes. No, Dax is just... <clears throat> what was that? What was that one shot after they shoot that plane down? Unless it was their plane. Was it their plane that they show from the exterior crashing into the mountain? Oh, I, I guess it is. But I thought that they had shot down the enemy plane at that time. Yeah. And I was looking at that crash. But it makes sense that it would be theirs because they're in the jungle after that happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. That whole that whole thing was... It was at the mercy of of editing and commercial breaks. I think, yeah, and, you yeah. know, jumping from point to point in that story. I, I, I think it's just it highlights the weakness of the Dax character because the Dax Dax doesn't act the way that I think that the character is supposed to be portrayed. Really, like you don't get the sense that she is a wise, well knowing, calm lifetime like a creature that's lived multiple lifetimes you really don't get that sense from her right right and and i think that's just a big problem with the writing and the performance and everything like that but then they get to the end they expose minister jaro and uh jaro has the weirdest farewell of a villain i think i've ever seen in my life where he's just like i endorse this investigation goodbye and then just walks out the door and that's the last uh, that's the last we're ever going to see of minister jaro at this point yeah, you'd think he would say something like fake news and then seize power. Right, exactly. I, I thought he was going to beam out of there with like a Cardassian transporter beam or something. And he'd be like, oh, yeah. we got away. But no, he just, he literally just says, I endorse being investigated. I'll see you later. Let me know what the results are. And that's that's it. <laughs> so a great performance from Langella again. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like even the way, even the way when he's on the, the, uh, the communicator, oh, when they cut to his side of the communication, his like, his posture yeah. <laughs> is just so precise and yep. unmoving as he's, you know, delivering this. He's he's just great. Yeah, yeah. He's he's there's a so many of the storylines are just saved by having uh, the decent acting come along in it. But um, I get the the only technical aspects I wanted to touch on are that I think that for an action episode, this is atrociously directed. Um, <laughs> it's it's like horribly directed. The scene where. The scene where Lee Nollis and O'Brien get into a firefight in Odo's uh, prison room. Yep. A, I don't know why they're in there in the first place. And B, I think they they filmed that in two takes and they just had those scenes to edit from because you you don't get any sort of like action cutting of the camera. It's really just you zoom in on O'Brien, you zoom in on the people attacking them and then you get a long shot of them running out of the hallway when the smoke grenade goes off and that's the entire action scene it's terrible yeah i've i've come to learn from uh 
Well, I guess all of Star Trek, but mostly TNG, that if you have an episode that's a lot of running around the ship, it's usually not very good. Yeah, it looks bad. Looks looks really, really bad. And you know, the other uh, action scene is just the Cisco. I like how everyone on Deep Space Nine puts on like a casual blazer to fight in a war. <laughs> uh, Cisco has well, a nice I, red one, and O'Brien is wearing a leather one. I was under the impression, I thought they were dressing more like Bajorans or oh, something. Oh, maybe they were. Maybe that, that might be true. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's true, but I can see how you would read that. But they didn't go through the uh, go to the extent of getting a sweet nose piece like Dax did. Oh right, yeah, yeah, and, and another pointless scene of the Dax uh, storyline. And you know, I think that the I like the idea of the invasion of DS Nine and sort of losing control of the station. It's just it's not very it's not really done very well here. They, they a they can't put up much of a fight, but they're the way that they fight back. Their guerrilla tactics aren't really all that interesting. On no. any level, like it's they're basically just hide out for a long time. It it felt to me like a game of hide and go seek. Yes, yeah, because like, it, you know, they were popping out of like barrels and shit. Yeah. Like it's like it's a, a western from the thirties. Yep, and uh, it, it seemed like they it, it seemed like on paper they were like this is gonna be like the uh, this is gonna be like Die Hard, but on on the Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and it just. Like the 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 number for the budget just kept going down, and the time that they had kept going down. And then they're like, "Wait, we have to do how much time it's crashing a ship on Bajor?" And it just got kept getting cut, 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 cut. You know, oh, the one thing I would like to say about the Kira and Dax subplot is uh, you should never have to ask the question: Is that a spider or a dog? <laughs> and if you do. You're already dead. That's, yeah. I liked how they how they even made a puppet for it. It felt so unnecessary that they have a little, little like spider puppet that uh, that sort of like waddled away from them. It was it was odd. Um, yeah, they honestly that single that line made me made me uh, root for the Cardassians to destroy. Asia. <laughs> I, I I don't I have no use for dog sized spiders in any planet. Yeah, yeah, I did say uh, that whole thing was very, uh, very sort of odd and uh, like a weird look at the insight of uh, Bajoran culture and stuff like that, I like, suppose. Did you know in Costa Rica they have giant spiders that scream? Oh, really? It's like my worst for no, nightmare. For no good reason, or just yeah, like and they eat birds. Yeah, they have they're they're like the size of dinner plates, and they eat birds, and they scream, and they travel in packs. <laughs> Well, fortunately, no, thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll stay away from there. We don't need build, to build a wall around that. We don't, don't need to siege uh, Costa Rica anytime soon. Although they could just climb the wall, though, because they're spiders. Oh, geez, there's no winning. The the only decent, you know, I, I think that the O'Brien stuff is bad. On on the whole, I think this episode actually has occasionally some good character stuff. Um, you mentioned you like yeah, the rationing I scene. I kind of like that. The O'Brien stuff is really awkward and weird. Uh, I don't know why they're together at this point. Um, I actually kind of liked the Bashir and Quark scene where Quark is having to drag his suitcase full of latinum and Bashir yeah. has to yell at him. That's a good scene between those two. I like the Quark stuff all the way through this episode, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I really liked the scene at the beginning with his brother, and I liked it later when you know his, he got the tables turned on him by his brother and then later he's the, the scene with Bashir. Yeah, I thought he was really good in this, in this episode. Yeah, he's a... Um, you know, he's he's the character with no ties to anything. So he's right. he's the one that can kind of play off of his own selfish interests and stuff like that. And and I like the fact that he, in that scene with Bashir, he went back for his suitcase. You know, he didn't abandon the the money, which right. I, which I felt would have been cheap. He actually went and back and continued dragging it. 
Yeah, he's you know he's he's just a a, a good character that I think is a is is a is a important character in in these ensembles where you have a quote unquote hero team at the front of every story because you know it's always interesting to have a guy I think I've used the uh, the transform the Transformers um, Beast Wars comparison before but there's always it's always good to have a character on your hero team who you can't completely trust right yeah because uh, it just makes everything much more interesting and um, the last the last thing about Quark what do you think of uh, I, I thought it's kind of an important and distinguishing character beat that Cisco actually chokes him briefly in the the start of it where yeah. Kirk, Kirk delivers the bad news about what he's done and uh, Cisco grabs him by the neck something I yeah. don't think Kirk or Picard necessarily would have done no definitely not Picard Kirk maybe I feel like um yeah maybe maybe yeah yeah well let me what's this I, I suppose I he might have grabbed him by the uh grabbed him by the jacket I think would be a yeah. Kirk move I feel, I feel yeah that was more the 60s was all about grabbing people by the lapels yes right and that's, that's see what if it was a woman he would have slapped him and uh, Manny would have grabbed him by the lapels and made a day of it. But yeah, yeah. I think that we're um, we're done talking about this one. We'll wrap it up. We'll take a break. We'll play an audio clip, and me and Claire come back, and we'll give our final thoughts, and then we'll read patron thoughts about the siege. So can I ask you something? Sure. About Lee Nellis. Mm-hmm. Well, listening to Kara talk about all he was, all he did, all he was going to do, she makes him sound like he was larger than life, like he was some kind of military genius. The Lee Nallis, I Chief, Lee Nallis was the hero of the Bajoran resistance. He performed extraordinary acts of courage for his people and died for their freedom. That's how the history books on Beja will be written. And that's how I'll remember him when anybody asks. Yes, sir. All right, so, the siege. We're done with it. We're done with the Bajoran coup arc. Um... Let's see here. We will read some patron thoughts. As always, if you guys support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can leave some thoughts about upcoming episodes that get read on the podcast. We'll go through these quickly. It's Holly McLaughlin writes, The Siege, Quirk, Rom, Comedy is always good stuff. Lee Nollis' moment of inspiring, drawing out courage and his fellow Bajorans worked a lot better than these sorts of climatic speeches from heroic characters usually do. Um, the Nollis stuff is just... What would what would be like your phrase to describe the Lee Nollis storyline after through all three of those episodes? Um, unfocused, maybe. Yeah, I might say uninspired or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's probably maybe. better. Yeah, yeah. It's, like I, I like I like what they're I like the overall arc, I guess. Yeah, but I they don't really spend enough time with it to really make it satisfying. I feel like his arc kind of matched the quality of the episodes, too. It started out yeah. strong and eventually just turned into t- kind of nothing by the end of it. And it's like, eh, yeah, it's yeah. whatever. Uh, Zam Nuclear Wessel writes, The siege is interesting in retrospect as the first step of gradual escalation of villainy on Deep Space Nine. Uh, it's a little bit of spoilers, but I'll see if I can cur- the, the first major attack on the station is misguided Bajorans. Later, it is some other people. And then it is uh, some species who are pretty evil, but at least have some kind of rationale. And then finally, we end with spirits. Joint Mango writes, The Siege, fire. Kyle Barrett writes, The Siege, I don't buy Starfleet having to leave the station because while they should respect what Bajor says, the wormhole should take priority. 
They would never let the Cardassians take control of it, and what about the ships already in the Gamma Quadrant? The Federation wouldn't leave them to the peril of returning into Cardassian territory. Even though I think the logic is flawed, there's fun to be had. Most of the character work and plot of the arc is done by this episode, so action can take the forefront. I like seeing the station evacuated, and the huge set is now the backdrop for phaser fights, and they do some fun stuff with the concept from Odo half-phase through a wall to the holodeck fake-out. The finale with Kara handing in the evidence seems rushed and anticlimactic, considering it's the ending of three episodes rather than just one, but overall it's a fun episode. Uh, yeah, they, I didn't mention they do a lot of Odo shapeshifting in this episode. Uh, yes. Which, uh, they spent most of the, the budget, I assume. It becomes a tripwire, which is always the most effective way a, ship, a shapeshifter can fight somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he phases out of wall and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, well, thank you, patrons, for writing in. People had more thoughts about the earlier episodes, which I think this one doesn't really. It's just kind of the wrap up episode. But what, what are you going to give this one on our one to scale, one to five scale, Clay? Um, I'd give it a low three. Okay, I'm gonna give it a two. Like, man, yeah, yeah. I made two and a half. Low, yeah. high two, low three. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's fine. I guess there's nothing. You know, I, I, much like my TNG scale was slightly adjusted based on you know the worst TNG versus the best TNG. I'm starting to calibrate my Deep Space Nine scale a little bit. Um. <clears throat> By giving this episode, where the episode itself is kind of run-of-the-mill and not really memorable, uh, I give it an extra boost because it's still working inside of what makes Deep Space Nine unique. Yeah. And it wasn't just a um, a TNG recycled kind of plot. Yeah. Like, it it, it still felt like it felt... It felt like it fit the new kind of paradigm they've set for for Deep Space Nine still. So. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I just think it's it, it doesn't do anything particularly wrong. Maybe a couple makes a couple of wrong choices, but it's just and and it's not even like it's unexciting. Maybe exciting would be the wrong. It's it's not like it's boring to watch or anything. It's just kind of like, yeah, there there it goes and it all wraps up and that's right. kind of the ending. Right. Even and I just think it going back to the status quo at the very end of it feels a little bit odd. To me at this point, because I feel like DS9 is distinguishing itself from TNG at that point where the the storylines overlapping feels like it's having even more of a, an impact than I thought it would at this point. Mm-hmm. Like the, the universe mm-hmm. that they live in is stationary as opposed to TNG. And so uh, there's just stuff like the fact that we never see Minister Jaro again feels right. odd to me. Yeah, he feels like he should come back, definitely. We we see the Vedics again. They'll continue to come back. Um I did like I didn't how really have much um, to say about them. I did like how Nurse Ratchet basically threw him under the bus once yes. she <laughs> realized that it was no longer politically uh <clears throat> profitable for her. I thought that was a little bit maybe of a confused performance, maybe. I, I think that she's supposed to throw him under the bus, right? Did you get that? Did you get that? I, I almost I almost felt like the actress played it as though she was legitimately upset that he was backed by the Cardassians. Yeah, I it was kind of weird. I took it by the actual what was happening as her throwing him under the bus, but I feel like yeah, it could have been she could have played it that way a little bit more. So maybe I don't know, maybe that wasn't the intention, I don't know. Yeah, maybe a little bit more snaky or or see the the uh betrayal on Jaro's face or something like that. But then again, you never yeah. really see his come up and he just kind of walks off. Yeah, you don't see betrayal in his face, and, and conversely, you also don't see betrayal in her face either. Right, yeah. yeah. All right, well, that's it. Clay gives it a week three. I'll give it a like a strong two, maybe something like that. We'll kind of meet in the middle at that point. Thank you very much for listening, guys. You can uh, 
vote for what you thought the episode was on our rating on YouTube. If you're on there, you can click the little button. It'll show you the scale of what to do and you can vote. Um, go to all the Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah stuff. All those links are in the description. Support us on patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff. We're doing our AMA podcast, which actually might come out before this well. I think it does. So you can check that out if you're interested. Listing our highest tier supporters goes to Stephen Cobb, Holly McLaughlin, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Magpie Nest Productions, Ben Douglas, Tax Bear, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Vincent Adultman, Tarek Latif, Rune Vendler. Thank you very much, everybody, for supporting the show. It makes it uh, much easier to get everything done. It's greatly appreciated. And uh, going into the new year, we should be able to keep um, some of the, the feedback we got from the survey. So regularity will be something that will improve, hopefully, going into the new year. That's my New Year's resolution. Aside of that, All sorts of new sound effects that's that right. you guys have been clamoring for. That's <laughs> Car horns. <laughs> We're going to get that uh, radio morning show host who just does the impressions and the sound effects and stuff. He'll just be a, a guy who sits in the background and does that. Because yeah. um, I think the podcast should go in more of a morning zoo type approach at this point. I've been saying that for years. Um, I think we're done. I think we're done. So we're done with the siege. That is the Bajoran coup arc. So, Clay, what's your quick thoughts about uh, the the first three-episode arc on uh, Star Trek? Um, I think overall it, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's... You know, this this last episode, I think... I think at... I think its biggest fault is that it it didn't really feel like it was driving towards a big climax. Um, or maybe I can say that having watched all three as seeing how the last one fell kind of flat. Um, yeah, I, I think they were fine. I think it was it doesn't entirely work uh, as a really great multi episode story. But um, I think for the first try, it was it was solid. Yeah, I think it, I think it does a better job of building the DS Nine universe than actually being yeah. good. And yeah, I do I think agree. that they, I, I I think in my ratings it went four three two. Like each episode just got a little bit worse than the previous mm-hmm. one before it, and mm-hmm. um, eh, that's kind of the way it is. But it's not bad, and it's um it's a harbinger, I guess, of the way the series will eventually get in later seasons, where they won't con- they won't call them an episode arc. But the episodes are directly tied into each other in a way. Mm. Um, mm. So that's about it. Guys, we're done with it. Siege is over. We'll be back with Invasive Procedures in a couple days. And that, uh, that about wraps it up. So happy 2018. Happy New Year, everybody. And we will see you next time.